When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lorecast. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me, as always, are my fellow hosts, Ariel. Hi there. And Daniel. Hello. And today, we're going to be talking about Resident Evil Revelations 2 characters and B.O.W.s. Bowels. Bowels. <laughs> so, we start off with none other than characters, Ariel. Oh, we do? Mmm. I don't have characters for today. Oh, you are a liar. <laughs> First, we're going to start off with Moira Burton. Moira Burton is an American charity worker for TerraSave, an NGO which provides relief for victims of terrorism. She is the older daughter of Barry and Kathy Burton and has a younger sister named Polly. It's interesting names. It's different. It's not bad, just different. It's, yeah, it's Moira a- and Polly. It's different. She was born around 1991 and lived in Raccoon City by 1998 while her father served in the Special Tactics and Rescue Service. In July, the lives of Polly, Kathy, and Moira were threatened by Umbrella Mole Albert Wesker, insisting he would have them killed if Barry didn't help him cover up the viral outbreak during X-Day. The three were saved when Wesker went into hiding after faking his death. When it became clear Umbrella was now hunting down the surviving STARS members, Kathy, Moira, and Polly were moved to Canada while Barry planned to investigate Umbrella HQ with Chris. After the Burton family moved to Canada, Moira and Polly were playing in the house one day and Moira found Barry's guns unlocked. Unprepared for what to expect, When Moira took one, it accidentally went off in her hands and resulted in injuring Polly. Thankfully, their father found them and urged Moira to call the ambulance. Polly survived, though Barry's sudden reaction to the events and lashing out verbally at Moira caused a rift between father and daughter and led to Moira becoming more rebellious against the stubborn Barry. Stupid reason, but go on. (laughs) With the influence of her close friend Claire Redfield, Moira 
eventually decided that she would join TerraSave. Barry disapproved greatly of this decision as he didn't want his family any more involved in bioterrorism than they already were. But this only caused Moira to want to join even more. By 2011, Moira Burton was finally inducted into the NGO as their newest full-time member. And that's what I have on Moira. A little bit of a rebellious, rebellious girl. <laughs> it, because daddy yelled at her for playing with guns when she was a kid. Yeah, that... I feel like she deserved a little bit better of a backstory of rebellion. I know, because... Yeah, you'd get upset your dad would yell at you, but at the same time, you just shot your sister. I think you'd be a little bit more upset about that than you would be right. the fact that your dad's yelling at you. I know her whole guns yeah. stick was because of that, but... Yeah, that made sense, and I really enjoyed that about her character. But... I feel like that the the I feel like they should have gone with the whole moving to Canada and not seeing your dad thing would have been a little bit better way to go for the rebellious. Right. <laughs> so next I have Natalia Korda. Hmm? Natalia Korda is a Hungarian superhuman birthed by the T Phobos project. Orphaned by the Terragrisia panic, Korda's trauma left her unable to feel fear making her an ideal candidate for the virus, which selected those based on the quantities of stress hormones produced. During this experiment in 2011, advanced technology was used to transfer the consciousness of the virus's creator, Dr. Alex Wesker, into her brain with the goal of realizing the Wesker Project's goal of creating the Ubermensch and attaining godhood over mankind. Following her rescue from Same Island by BSAA advisor Barry Burton, she was adopted by his family and raised in Canada. So some early life info on her. In 2004, the Corda family were living or visiting the Mediterranean city of Terragrisia when it fell victim to a bioterrorist attack by El Veltro. Her pants were killed in front of her, but Corda herself survived with the help of FBC and TerraSave member Neil Fisher, who sent her out to a TerraSave affiliated orphanage with the teddy bear as a gift, which she named Lottie. At her time in the orphanage, Corda became isolated from the other children emotionally and developed an introverted personality with little ups and downs in her emotional development. And the rest I basically have... what happens in the game. So, that's what I have on Natalia. I don't really know what to say about that one. (laughs) Poor kid. (laughs) Yeah. Next I have Gina Foley. She was a member of TerraSave. While Gina shares her surname with Rachel Foley, it is unknown what relation, if any, these two share. In 2004, Gina had only just joined TerraSave straight out of college to then witness the tragedy of bioterrorism known as the Terragrisia Panic. She had no real survival experience at that time, and this calamity had a profound effect on her. 
As a brilliant and beautiful talent, she was a prominent figure in TerraSafe. In 2011, after an attack during a TerraSafe party, Gina was kidnapped and taken to a deserted island with Claire, Moira, and some other TerraSafe members. As soon as Gina woke up on the island, she was attacked and fatally wounded by the afflicted nearby. She finally succumbed to her wounds and Claire's arms, painfully whispering about their animal eyes. And that is what I have on Gina Foley. Such an in-depth background for such an amazing character. (laughs) I love how they gave her this brief background for a character that we saw for what, maybe five minutes total? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I do love that about Capcom. Even the background characters have some pretty in-depth background stories. Yeah, they do. Okay, next on the list is Neil Fisher. He was a TerraSave executive responsible for observing bioterrorism trends around the world and leading relief efforts. He became the leader of TerraSave at some point in its history and was known for his calm nature, likely having become long desensitized to the horrors of bioweapons and was trusted for his sharp insight. Inspired by Morgan Lansdale, Fisher was willing to take extreme actions to fight bioterrorism, and in 2011 betrayed 10 members of TerraSafe to recover an Ouroboros virus sample from Dr. Alex Wesker. Betrayed himself and infected with the virus he sought to obtain, Fisher's mutations drove him insane, and he was killed by Moira. Moira. So that is Neil Fisher. So, lessons learned to our dear listeners. Don't play with umbrella viruses. Yep. <laughs> you will be shot and killed by a main character. I don't think you should play with any viruses, but umbrella <laughs> probably in particular. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't play with viruses, but umbrellas you stay away from. If one of your friends goes, cool, look at this cool T-virus sample I have. You leave. You leave. <laughs> Might want to alert the authorities. <laughs> So next, we got our boy, Pedro. Oh, Pedro. Pedro Fernandez was a TerraSave member and co-worker of Claire Redfield. Athletic and is a trained medical engineer. Pedro was involved with TerraSave even in his student years. He has a bright personality, but becomes upset easily in a crisis. In 2011, Pedro was a guest at a party at TerraSave headquarters that was attacked. He, alongside other TerraSave members, was abducted and taken to Syme Island. Same island. He awakened in a forest alongside Gabriel Chavez, Edward Thompson, and Neil Fisher, with strange bracelets on their arms. Through these, they were contacted by a woman calling herself the Overseer, who insisted they head for the Wasik. They were then attacked and pursued by several afflicted, former residents of the island driven insane through torture and abuse, who end up killing Edward. Thinking quickly, quickly, they cut off his hand to investigate the bracelets. He and Gabriel are separated from Neil during the pursuit before they arrive at the Wasik, a pub in a fishing village. 
After succumbing to the virus, Pedro mutates into an afflicted, although his transformation is a unique mutation. He stands a head taller than the player characters and his joints, most notably his right arm, swells up, allowing him to wield the drill more effectively. His most notable feature is the numerous eyes that erupt from his body. It is unknown what purpose these eyes have, but destroying them all will instantly defeat him. So that is Pedro. Next is Gabriel Chavez. He was a TerraSafe member and co-worker of Claire Redfield and Moyer Burton. He was a qualified vehicle mechanic and understood and understood by his colleagues to be fearless and robust. Robust. He was also captured. And when he came to, he found himself with Pedro and Edward, as well as Neil. Gabe was a survivor and an optimist, which Neil attributed to Gabe being ex-military. Through the ordeal on the island, he tended to lean towards positive thinking, such as when he told his fellow survivors to not worry about the virus they'd been infected with, as it was only a distraction. He was also quite certain that they would be able to find the necessary supplies to repair the helicopter and escape. And when he got the helicopter working, he was sure that their survival was imminent. He was compassionate and considerate of his friends, initially unwilling to leave Neil to deal with attacking afflicted while he and Pedro escaped. Although he later allowed Claire to handle attackers while he fixed the helicopter, it was also known that he thought very highly of her as he was completely unsurprised that she was able to scrounge up what was needed for the chopper. And most notably, Gabe had the tendency of calling people by their last names. For example, referring to Claire as Redfield. The only known exception to this was Moira, who he referred to as the newbie, once due to her being the newest member of TerraSafe. You can attribute a lot of that to him being ex-military as well. Mm-hmm. That's what I got on him. Personally, I really like the flavor that they gave this character with doing their homework on somebody who's recently, you know, out of the military. Because for a while, we do have a tendency to refer to people by their last names or, you know, have a tendency to continue to have that kind of optimism or, you know, mission you know, mindset. So I really like that Capcom did their research on this character really well. Yeah. Same. So next on my list is Evgeny Rebic. He was a native to same island. Evgeny used to work as a miner and lived in the town with his daughter, Irina, until 2009 when people started to become sick and the island got overrun with creatures. Refusing to leave the island, he fled to live in the sewers. In 2011, Evgeny encountered Claire and Moira, but refused to help them, blaming outsiders for destroying his home. He is seen later in the story when he rescues Moira from near death. At first, he is reluctant, reluctant to assist her, but he allows her to live with him as long as she agrees to follow his rules and join him on his hunts. 
When asked by Moira if they could search for an escape off the island, he refused. Because of this refusal, Moira left Evgeny's sanctuary one night to find a way to escape the island. However, her efforts were a disaster. She not only attracted the attention of a horde of afflicted, ironheads, and even some Vulcan blubbers, <laughs> but she failed to throw them off as she fled back to Evgeny's sanctuary. Consequently, she and the angry Evgeny had to fight off the attacking horde of T. Phobos monsters and narrowly managed to survive. This strained their partnership considerably, but they managed to make it up to each other. They continued their life of hunting and foraging until six months passed. Evgeny began to succumb to a lung disease of some sort, but there were more immediate concerns as well. Although most of the T. Phobos creatures decayed away, dying or transforming into the rotten, a new enemy appeared its head in the form of revenants. These more dangerous Ouroboros creatures mindlessly sought out and killed all life around them and did not hide during the day the way the afflicted had. Consequently, game became scarce and Evgeny decided to risk exploring the town for any food and supplies they could salvage. Better to stockpile what they could than risk it being ruined by the revenants. After some time spent searching, they encountered a document listing the inhabitants taken to the nearby mines to be experimented on. The list named Evgeny's missing daughter, Irina Rebic, as one of those taken. Seeking some sort of explanation, they set off to the mines. Moira, though suspecting the worst outcome, decided it was best to give Evgeny closure, something she feared her father might not get if she was to die on the island. When they discovered a letter from Irina, Evgeny faced the reality that she was gone, leading to him to give up on life and lock himself away from Moira to spend his last moments alone to be at peace with his daughter, only to inspire Moira further to survive on the island to see her father once more. He was later found dead by Barry and Natalia. This poor guy. I know. He didn't ask for this. <laughs> I don't think really any of them asked no. for it. Except for, like, you know, Albert and... Yeah, Alex well, yeah. And- yeah. Oh, Alex Wesker. Thanks for that. <laughs> yep. And speaking on Alex Wesker... Oh? That is who I'm going to cover last. As in right now. My last character. Ooh. You had me going there for a minute. <laughs> So, Dr. Alex Wesker was a high-ranking Umbrella Pharmaceuticals employee who was part of the Project Wesker eugenics program. In the years following Umbrella's downfall, Wesker took control of a number of islands where she began viral research while ruling over a people that hailed her as the Messiah or even a goddess. These Weskers... Alex Wesker's early life and true surname are unknown. She was taken from her parents at an early age as part of the Wesker Project, a eugenics product and renamed after the project leader, Dr. Wesker. As part of the project, she was given a privileged upbringing with access to the best education around, 
while at home being instilled with the world views of Dr. Oswell Spencer. Spencer's ultimate goal was that these children would be infected with a progenitor virus strain and usher in a utopian superhuman society. And though the virus was not ready for this goal, he recognized the need for the several hundred candidates to share their worldviews with himself. As a young adult, Alex left her home and a higher level education in a field of her choosing and was headhunted by Umbrella Pharmaceuticals as one of a short list of as little as 13 candidates. How many of the other Weskers that Alex was raised with is unknown, though she was close to Albert, and who along with Alex was considered the best candidates for from the project. So then the rest of the events happened according to the game that we already covered. However, I want to read a little thing about her legacy. Alex's legacy continued after her death, though not entirely as she planned. The copied consequent consciousness by July 2013 achieved a seeming success in Natalia, who started reading the writings of Franz Kafka and newspaper articles on bioterrorism. The following year, the Kodoku project was completed with the researchers offering themselves as test subjects out of a cult-like devotion to Alex, though the ultimate bioweapon on Sundio de Tortuga was destroyed during a BSA operation, coinciding with an attempt by Shenya Pharmaceutical to steal the research. And that's all I have on characters for Revelations 2. So I'm glad we finally got to talk about Alex Wesker because there is a something that's been eating at me this whole time, which is the fact that we don't know how many kids were considered successful out of the Wesker project. We only know of two, Wesker and Alex. Yeah, and it said that there was 13. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give or take 13. So I would assume that it's safe to say that potentially what may come to reveal later on in this series is that each one of these successful projects has actually gone to start their own companies or is continuing Umbrella's research in other destinations. Oh, probably, definitely. So a lot of because there's a lot of people thinking that after Resident Evil 9, where are we going to head to next? Well, here is here is one of potential avenues that we could take to process or to progress further into, you know, 10 and onward. Yeah, I'm okay with this. And it would lead us to answering more questions about the project itself, because there's not a lot of information on the Wesker project other than, you know, they basically kidnap kids and, you know, raise them to be superior and injected them with the progenitor virus. Yeah. So with all that being said, I think this is the perfect time for a mid break. Well, here we are in the middle of the show. You know the first thing we got to do, Ariel? 
Say it's awful middly in here. <laughs> no, we have to thank our patrons. Oh, eat pizza. Oh my gosh. So we would like to extend a very special thank you to our VIP patrons, Saint, William Jackson, and Wolf Slore. And we'd like to extend a another very special thank you to our All Access patrons, Chris Slate and Remington Cloutier. And finally, another lovely, lovely thank you to our official patron, Anthony Bellotti. So, thank you! Y'all are fucking awesome. <laughs> and you listeners out there, y'all are fucking awesome too. Yes, we have some very lovely listeners. And we have to give them another special thank you because they are blowing up the reviews they're blowing up the the twitter they're blowing up everything and you know this just helps us bring in new listeners helps us grow and honestly keeps us busy and happy and it's just it's just wonderful yeah we love talking to <laughs> everybody about all things re mm-hmm. and it allows us to get out there to more people and just you know brighten somebody else's day up and that's that's really why we do all this to make everybody's day just a little bit brighter and give you that thing to look forward to yes so with all that being said and thank yous are done Daniel what do you have for us this week I think I brought merchandise you think yeah I think so you believe I might have so on Etsy I found some acrylic Resident Evil charms. Mm. They're only two and a half inch tall, but some of them are pretty funny. So Aaron would find one on here that he likes because it's hunk. I <laughs> believe it's hunk. Looks like he's carrying an umbrella case in one hand and another one has him. Well, it looks like carrying a bowl of noodles. <laughs> While carrying a gun um, in both of these. It's because Hunk's a badass. There's also uh, Mr. X with Leon. Uh, Claire with, I believe, William Birkin. Jill with Nemesis. And as always, Chris punching a boulder. <laughs> and his has two captions. One says X to punch boulder. And the other one says X. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Oh, wow. So these are made by Hex Salinas. I believe that's how you say their name. They're $12 on Etsy. So if you want to find those, they are 2.5 inch double-sided Resident Evil charms. They're currently in stock. Looks like they are $12 each. So there's the Jill Nemesis ones, Leon and Mr. X, Claire and Birkin, Chris, Hunk. You can get a set of three for $30, a set of all five for $50. And if you get these, definitely show us, especially if it's the Chris punching a boulder one, because those are... <laughs> I just want to add to Daniel's merchandise, so he sent me the link to it so I could put it in the show notes. And all I've got to say is, look at the bubble butts. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> look at the bubble butts. On three of them, at least. Oh, gosh. Bubble butts. So we're talking boulder punching, and I have to remind everyone that... I think it was last episode we mentioned we're doing a RE Village giveaway. And in order to enter, all you have to do is 
retweet the pen tweet on our Twitter or and or I should say caption your favorite RE gif or moment with at RE Lorecast. You could that's two potential chances to win. And we are going to announce the winner of that giveaway, I believe, the second week of next month. That's the second week of May. Oh, all you people out there. <laughs> so with all that being said, Ariel, what do you got? Well, I read an article. Much like I always do. Ariel, the article reader. Yes. The I read an article, Ariel. <laughs> so this one comes from DSO Gaming. And the title is New Resident Evil First Person Fan Remake Beta Available for Download. Now this came out a day ago. So back in September... They talked about a fan remake of the first Resident Evil game in the Unity engine. Created by Pero Autonomo, this fan remake targets 32-bit visuals and looks retro-cool. And last month, they released a brand new beta version of it. Although it's far from being complete, this latest beta version features a lot of locations. Additionally, it packs numerous zombies to fight, though the fighting system needs a lot of work and polish. This fan remake also retains the original inventory system as well as the game's puzzles. It's a pretty cool way to revisit this classic Resident Evil game. So download it. Do it. Play it. (laughs) Oh, they got a ton of fan games coming out now, and I'm super pumped for it, honestly. Yeah, I'm definitely okay with all these fan remakes. <laughs> Keeps us preoccupied while we wait for new stuff. That's never coming. No. So, I guess it's my turn. And I also brought something from Etsy. Yeah. I saw these and I thought they were super cool. So, on Etsy, if you go to Ghoulish Shoes, and we'll have the link in the show notes, you can get your uh, very own set of high heels that are Resident Evil virus themed. So these have the T-strain virus and antivirus in the heels that light up and the heels are red covered in gore with an umbrella logo at the very top. So these things are awesome. The price tag on it though is it's pretty it's pretty expensive but I think these things are handmade they're really cool these things are hard to make I guarantee it Uh, but the price tag on it is $142.62 so it's not too bad and the reviews on them are fantastic I will say so if you're looking in the market for some new high heels and you want them to be gory and Resident Evil themed check this out I mean they would be cool collection collector item Mm -hmm. for me I could not walk in those (laughs) no they're very high I was not born to walk in high heels (laughs) at all they are very high heels I mean they're pretty big they're very stiletto style I mean yeah no Mm. no (laughs) they do look awesome though Mm -hmm. I will say definitely for like a collector item yeah the blood dripping down the virus 
and the antivirus on the back is super cool too. And if you are ever in a zombie apocalypse, you got the antivirus. Right as there. long as it's the T virus strain. Mm. So, you know, you're good to go. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I've brought for this episode. So with all that being said, I think it's time to jump to the end of the episode and talk some BOWs and Easter eggs. Woo. Well, Daniel, we're at the end of the episode. You ready to talk some BOWs? Oh, I thought we were going to end the episode. I thought that's what you were talking about. No. <laughs> I guess I can talk about some BOWs. Don't lie. You were excited. <laughs> I mean, I was ready. <laughs> it doesn't mean I was excited. So the first BOW I have, which it's... What exactly defines a BOW? I feel like we should do an episode on this. I feel like any creature created by biological means yeah, would be bioorganic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I just want to clarify that because sometimes the human ones I don't always consider BOWs because to me BOW is more monster-like. But was it created by a bo- biological weapon? Yes. The answer is always yes. <laughs> Technically. Anyways, so the first one I have is the afflicted. The afflicted were human in origin. Their bodies and minds were heavily altered because of the virus and their terror they underwent, which the virus they were afflicted by is the T. Phobos virus. Their skin is yellowed, darkened, and covered in open wounds. Evidence of the torture they endured still present, such as barbed wire tightly holding onto their flesh and sharpened pieces of bar pipes impaled through their bodies. Driven completely mad from the pain, solitude, and fear, they react to any living person in sight with immediate violence. Through means of scratching, biting, or even using rudimentary weapons, they will do whatever they can to kill whoever they find in areas of the prison. That's what I have on the afflicted. I will cover some variants that I have, but that is the main bulk of the afflicted. There, I like about the what I like about the afflicted is the fact that they are not your typical zombie. They react to living creatures because they don't want to be tortured and hurt anymore. So they're just like murder everything in sight that moves. I don't like to do it, but I'm going to cause you pain. Now. <laughs> This hurts me more than it does you. (laughs) Alright, so next I have the cyst. The cyst is a pustule-like mass attached to the floors and grounds of the detention center on Sane Island. It appears to be a kind of slime mold that mutated and developed abnormally in the unsanitary environment where T. Phobos virus leaked. It has the characteristics of rapidly swelling and bursting when triggered by external stimuli. This characteristic is a way to expand its breeding ground by attaching the scattered slime mold to other organisms, but the mold is highly toxic, making it so dangerous that it could be considered an automatically deployed mine-type bioweapon. So basically, it's just a living weapon. Aren't they all? (laughs) Yes, but this is one that I don't know if it exactly knows what it's doing. And that's what I have on the cyst. The names for in this one are just... I would say the names are just chef's kiss. <laughs> oh, there's one. Well, we already know about the Vulcan blubber. <laughs> Ariel talked about it earlier. Uh-huh. That one is just... It sounds like it's part whale. 
<laughs> the next BOW I have is the Durga. Is the Durga. The Durga is an Ouroboros creature, and thusly is similar in appearance to the Revenant and Splasher. So now we actually have an Ouroboros creature. That's good, because it's the worst virus to come so far. Mm-hmm. However, it seemed to have assimilated drastically more corpses than either of those creatures, leading to a different appearance. A Durga has an almost tree-like appearance. A singular human lower torso is used to walk, leading to a trunk dominated by a massive yellow Ouroboros core. Above this is the creature's head, which is a waving forest of multiple limbs, including revenant blade arms, slash or splasher pus arms, and the most iconic feature of the Durga, an indestructible tendril-covered tentacle that ends in a massive three-clawed hand. So, terror. Terror tree. The Durga can only be killed by destroying its core as it is ubiquitous to Ouroboros creatures. Its assimilated corpse limbs are used to protect its core, though it can also flail them to strike at nearby foes. Splasher arms and revenant weapon arms can blind or inflict bleeding wounds just as they could on regular revenant and splashers. Destroying these arms exposes the core and makes it easier to hit, but also drives the Durga into a wild frenzy as it senses its vulnerability. A thrashing tentacle can be used to grab a victim and beat them against the ground until they die, and it is also indestructible, making frontal attacks especially dangerous as it is adept at using it as a shield. So if I were in this area, I would just avoid this thing. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's... It seems nigh impossible to beat up. Because <laughs> it says... Let's see here. So because of its lower torso, it almost seems like it would be slow enough to avoid, but it's Resident Evil. There's probably a trick up its sleeve because it does have... Ouroboros tendencies, so it could probably find a way. If you're like, I can get away from this, I'm gonna find a way. <laughs> it's gonna evolve. <laughs> Next, I have the giant whip spider. These spiders are giant version of whip spiders, an order of arachnids known as Amblegai, which are known for being nocturnal. According to Evigeny Rebic, the giant whip spiders, if cooked the correct way, can be eaten without risk of viral exposure. <laughs> so note to everybody out there, if you encounter a giant one in your Resident Evil Ventures, you can eat it if cooked the right <laughs> way. So it's like a puffer fish. Yes, but I would not eat a spider or a puffer fish. You would if you were hungry. I would probably starve. Next, we have the glasp. The glass was created naturally by the T. Phobos virus that spread through this, throughout the Seine Island. It is thought to be a certain kind of winged insect that mutated, evolved, and reproduced in short cycles of generational succession. It can produce a special kind of gas that contains chemical components which can cause abnormalities in the optic nerves of living creatures, and it can also mimic the scenery by diffracting ambient light allowing it to stealthily approach and attack prey without being seen. With strong vice-like legs, it can not only grip and hold onto prey, but can also easily break a human spine in half. 
When it captures prey, it will feed its offspring by releasing them from its body onto the victim. And that's what I have. <laughs> but why? On the clasp. It's, it's Resident Evil. Why are a lot of the BOWs the way they are? <laughs> it's called live to death ratio. Oh my gosh. I'm going to coin that now. Next up, I have the Iron Head. Iron Heads are afflicted that have been subjected to further enhancements, increasing their size and strength. They stand a head taller than regular afflicted and are considerably more durable, being able to absorb much more gunfire. Their most distinguishing feature is the metal helmet they wear, hence the name Iron Heads. This helmet is completely bulletproof and appears to have been welded onto the creature's face. While this renders them immune to headshots, they are vulnerable at the base of their neck. There are two variants of Iron Heads. The first variation wears a faceplate similar to a gas mask. The other wears a conical-shaped helmet. Both variants wield crudely constructed axes that are capable of inflicting bleeding damage. And that's what I have on the Iron Heads. Next up, I have the Orthus, another canine B.O.W. They are made from the T. Phobos virus, and they have large metal spikes inserted into their backs, as well as massive jaws that are made from a bear trap where their neck would be. So if we thought any of the other canine B.O.W.s were bad, now we just got one that's basically spikes and a bear trap. Yeah. It's a good boy, okay? Yeah, just don't... Veda would appreciate it. Just don't pet its mouth too much. And that's what I have on the Orthus. Next, I have Revenants. Revenants are one of several forms of Ouroboros created on the same island. When exposed to the virus, the cells are repaired and begin mutating. With the human brain dead, the emerging organism instead grows a fleshy core elsewhere on the body, which takes over brain functions. Consequently, destruction of the core will kill such a creature. Created as research specimens, revenants were the result of various human body parts being stitched together. The ability of the emerging organism to control the limbs would have given valuable insight into the organism's capability. So basically, it's our Frankenstein monster, but instead of lightning, it's an organism that brings this corpse to life. I I don't like it. <laughs> Once again, Umbrella doing some crazy whacked up shit. When don't they? Well, if they did, we didn't, wouldn't have so many games. <laughs> Give me that look. Next up, I have the Rotten. The Rotten is a result of radical changes in the metabolism of afflicted after complete zombification, which takes longer than the typical T-virus induced zombification. As with zombies, the afflicted can stay alive despite serious injuries. All energy is spent on keeping their body active and search for more food, and as a consequence, the body begins to atrophy and expose the skeletal structure. So basically, it's just a super desiccated corpse zombie. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I have on the rotten. Now we start getting into some of the variants of the afflicted with their hilarious names. 
So this one is actually not one of the afflicted variants, but this is the Slinger, which appears to be a human mutated with the Ouroboros virus. The human base is evident in the leg and abdomen section. The upper torso stops at the ribcage and opens up into a large arm used to throw explosive parasites at the player. These parasites cause splash damage. The parasite then grows back and the animation reveals that the Ouroboros tentacles come out of the arm. Hmm. So an Ouroboros, they can throw explosive parasites. It's already bad enough they're a parasite and they're explosive now. And they can regenerate that. Yeah. Good job, Ouroboros. You wanted your mutation. There you go. Not mutated enough. Next up are the Splashers. Splashers are another one of the Ouroboros created on same island. They were created as research specimens. Splashers were a result of various human body parts being stitched together. They were observed to experience severe mutation on one of the reattached limbs. Closer inspection shows a hand growing out of the mass, suggested the imperfect growth of a second torso. This mass is known to have contained a toxic pus. By using this arm as a weapon, the pus could be released and and could incapacitate an enemy. So this one basically just likes to splash you with pus to incapacitate you. And it just is a gross looking creature. Next up, I have the funniest, one of the funniest names is the Sploder. The Sploder. Sploder. This is the one of the afflicted variants. The Sploder appears to be normal afflicted that undergo a further mutation that triggers upon the death of the host. After a few seconds, the infected body becomes covered in pustules that consume the host's upper torso, shaping it into a new form. The new creature lacks a visible head, and its stomach has become bloated as a result of the acidic bile stored inside. Physical damage to the body causes this bile to expand until it violently explodes, destroying the host in the process. The bile can blind and injure anyone caught in the vicinity of the explosion. Like all afflicted, the spoiler develops a weakness to light. Prolonged exposure will cause the bile to erupt whilst still inside the host and instantly kill it. If it if eliminated in this method, the exploder's corpse will not disintegrate. Hmm. That's what I have on the exploder. And the last one I have is the Vulcan Blubber. <laughs> Vulcan Blubber. The Vulcan Blubber. The Vulcan Blubber is a hulking afflicted, although it is significantly larger and more durable. It was tortured, and its head was wrapped in bandages and encased in an iron cage. It carries a large urn containing an explosive substance, which it can ignite using its torch, turning the substance into makeshift mortars. While the Vulcan Blubber has poor thinking abilities due to the damage done to its neocortex, it still possesses enough intelligence to fire its cannon. Considering it abnormally... Considering... Its abnormally enlarged physique it is likely that the subject was biologically modified by various drugs in addition to the T. Phobos virus. So between Ouroboros variations and these afflicted variations, you have a lot of minor to medium enemies mm-hmm. that can 
be just deadly either alone or together see that's I will say this game almost mastered the like horror around the corner aspect because you felt like you were going to die every five seconds in this one low on ammo tons of enemies you're like I don't know what's going to happen next next I'll fight a sploder <laughs> that is what I have on BOWs right well lots of interesting facts we've covered today about characters in BOWs but now I think it's time we dive into some easter eggs and boy do I have some funny ones so let's start with our boy Barry so the first easter egg we have here is the master of unlocking so during the mission where you need to unlock a gate by you, you basically battering ramming it once you press the button and the large set of logs crash into the gate forcing it open Barry can be heard in his dialogue saying who's the master of unlocking now which is a reference to all the way back in RE1 when Barry gives Jill the lockpick and says here this should be more useful to the master of unlocking it's terrible (laughs) so the next Barry easter egg we have here is another RE1 reference towards the end of the game where you are escaping on the helicopter and Barry goes to fight the shall we say tyrant of this game Moira and Barry have a heart to heart moment here where where Moira asks Barry if he needs her to which Barry responds yes but not right now for now, I've got this. And he holds up his magnum. This is direct reference to the line he uses in RE1 when he tries to give Jill a weapon, to which Jill responds, don't you need one? And he says, I got this, and holds up his magnum in the same manner. So moving from Barry to Claire, Claire has a very little shall we say a a very big nod to those RE fans that know the Jill sandwich (laughs) so during the mission where Claire is at risk of being crushed by a machine after she gets out and climbs up she says I was almost a Claire sandwich to which Moira responds "Ugh, does Barry tell everyone that story which again is another nod to RE1 where Jill is about to be crushed by the ceiling Barry gets her out and says you are almost a Jill sandwich (laughs) so while we're on Claire let's talk about the floor secure upper floor security level in this area you can find a set of computer systems and monitors if you look around very carefully with your flashlight or scope, you can find the Tricell logo on several of the computer, what look to be power sources, and some of the equipment around the room. So I thought that was a pretty cool little snippet that put in there. In addition to the progenitor virus detection kit <laughs> commercial we get. So Another little nod to do with Claire is 
during one of the missions and you you can hear a radio going on in the background a specific character's name is mentioned this character is Svetlana's name is mentioned and of course we know her from none other than Resident Evil Damnation now it's hard to make out what they exactly are talking about or why her name is mentioned in the first place because the radio transmission is quite garbled but we do clearly get to hear her name mentioned during this transmission. So that's a nice little nod towards the movie, I think. So other than these, we also have two special little snippets that we get at the end credit scene. So the first one is the star's license plate on Claire's vehicle as she's driving it. It, it, the license plate reads STA space RS, which is a direct reference to, of course, Star's Tactics Unit. And the other one is the final cutscene. So during this final scene, Claire's talking on the phone to somebody, which we can presume is about Chris, to which the person responds, Piers is with him. Claire then responds, have peers take care of him and that's it which we can only assume would be a reference to when peers and chris are together unfortunately peers won't be seen after that spoiler spoiler <laughs> but those are our easter eggs for revelations 2 wasn't too many. Not really. I mean, there's probably more if I want to dig a little bit deeper, but the ones that you dig deep for, they're typically not even worth it. They're tiny little snippets of, you know, oh, the umbrella logo was in the top right corner of... They're tiny little things that, you know, us as hardcore fans will appreciate, but not everybody's looking to dig that deep into things. But, yeah. I I, I really like Barry's lines in this. They're great. I love the little nods back to RE1. All this talk about Jill sandwiches make me want a sandwich. So. <laughs> well, with that being said, then I think we should get Ariel sandwich. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye as I enjoy my sandwich. <laughs> Bye there. <laughs> Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger.